When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Malmaneal Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Today we are talking about the future. Now, we can't predict the future, but we're going to have a crack at it. There's a listener question in our Facebook group that talks about what the next 20 or 30 years are going to be like, uh, which is more so for the next generation. And it is scary stuff when you think about what's happened in the last sort of three to five years from a property growth perspective around the country. So we're going to thrash this out in a lot of detail. We're going to give you what the last 20 years have done in certain areas, which will give you a, a bit of a look of what the future might look like. As I say, historical performance is not an indicator of future growth, but it's not a bad starting point. So without further ado, let's get into it. So, John, thinking about the future is a little bit scary, really. I mean, for me, when I look on some of the purchases we've made and what the original owner bought them for, like back in the 80s or the 90s, and you're like, that's insane. They probably own the property outright and they're getting all this, you know, gain on top of it. But it's like a million dollars used to be a lot of money and I hate to say it, but it really isn't anymore. It's just, it's just not. And I think people buying in the eighties probably couldn't fathom a property purchase of a million dollars. And now it's just like, eh, (laughs) this is what we have to pay. It's crazy. That's right. It's just a norm, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I was actually researching for a group the other day. And there was a house in Manly that is a is a obviously a nice suburb in Sydney. In 1987, this property was purchased for 127000 It's now worth over $5 million, which is, is just outstanding in terms of the growth. And, and whether if you've rebuilt new in that time, you've, you've still made a conservative three to four million dollars so yeah uh will we see it again uh is is the is the big question um so let's maybe read out the questions so that people have got perspective on what we're about to discuss for sure so Lindsay has asked for our opinion on on growth in the next 20 to 30 years specifically to western sydney but we're going to talk about all areas and asking if two million plus would be the average for a three-bedroom house. Lindsay's watching their son walk around the house and can't help but wonder what he is going to do by then and what options would be available to him. It's already 36 years old for the average age for a first-home buyer in Sydney and in the 80s, it was 27 years old. There's a bit more of a gap now in that bracket. The average age could be 50 years plus by the time my son is 20 and looking to move out of home. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know if he's still living there when he's 50, but you never know. Um, Seems like he'd have to move far away from us to purchase, which is actually an issue for a lot of people right now um, that they're already facing. And without financial help from others or parents or a higher income, without a massive education debt, it does seem pretty bleak for those who can't have access to any of that. Oh, it would be nice to have the kid around reasonably close to home, but it doesn't seem like it would be possible one day. Well, there's so much to unpack in that because there's just so many avenues of possibilities of 
I guess, what you could do, but also what people might not want to do. And I think what's ringing clear in Lindsay's question there is that she really values having family close by. And so that's quite an important factor for a lot of Aussie families. They want their family in the neighbouring suburb at the very least. Would you say that's a, you know, Mm. reasonable request? It is a reasonable request, but call me old school, call me hard-nosed. Don't be offended by what I'm about to say, listeners. I think we've got to grit our teeth when we're young to be able to get ourselves into the market for the first time. And we've we've got to realise that we can't have it all now. And where I'm coming from is this. We live in a, in a, in a nice suburb on the central coast and my kids, uh, what are they, 10, 12 and 14 roughly, that's all they know. And they, they think life's great, school's close by, their friends, sport, everything else, right? There'll come a time in the next 10 years for them 10 to 15 years where they won't be at their first purchase will not be in the suburb that we're living in now. I can guarantee it. So they're going to have to make a decision to say, well, I can rent here and save my pennies and continue to, to do that until I can afford to live there. Or I, I go and live somewhere else and that's, that's more affordable and, and fast track my way into property ownership or I just become a rent vester and I build a portfolio and not own in the suburb that we're in now for another 20 years. And, and I think all of those options are okay, but it depends on what they need at the time. But rarely do you see, and, and I'll go back a step, both my wife and I weren't brought up in that suburb. Mm-hmm. We worked our way up to that suburb and it took basically 20 years of our working life. So I think, and I'm not calling this next generation privilege, but I sort of am, in the sense that they've got to do the hard yards early on in order to get what they want later on in life. And if they don't want to do that and they want to enjoy it now, then it's really just a case of of renting now and just saying, well, I'm going to enjoy my lifestyle now. If I don't own a home in this location for the next 20 years, couldn't care less. That's okay. But understanding that we've got to be a realist in all this. And I was speaking to someone on a clarity call two weeks ago. They were fresh out of university with a teaching degree in Newcastle. They went out to the most regional part of New South Wales and uh, as a teacher, first job, they're there for three years. The government's paying them an extra 30 grand a year to be there because it's remote. They're paying 90% of their rent. So they're saving an absolute truckload of money for three years in a place that they don't know. They don't know anyone out there, but for three years, it's giving them enough to be able to come back and buy, not where they want to, but where they can feel that they're going to make a really good dent on their on their financial future because they've done those hard yards. So that's an example of some of the things that we need to do uh, or the next generation will need to do in order to, to move forward because it is a, a very different landscape to what it was five years ago even. I have a question for you. Do you have a, an age in mind in which the kids would be out of home or are you going to be the sort of parent who allows them to be there as long as they want? <laughs> well, 
This question needs to be asked to my wife first of all and then to me because we've probably got differing answers on that. She's happy for them to stay as long as they want. I'm like, kids, stand on your own two feet when you turn 18. Yeah, look, I don't. we don't really have a, a time frame. I think it's more a case, a mutual arrangement to say, look, you're ready to move out and we're ready to kick you out sort of thing. It's not going to be, yeah, as soon as you turn 18, off you go. But I, I do firmly believe that they need to to attack life on their own two feet. So, no, they won't be still living with us when they're 30 if that's where, where you're going with that. I'll check in with you when they're 30. Um, no, it's just interesting because the sentiment of Lindsay's question is certainly around the fact that maybe their son might be with them for a lot longer and it's probably exhibiting an extreme saying 50 years plus, but look, who knows, maybe that becomes more normal. But one thought that sprung to mind and that um, I've heard a few people speak about more recently is around the idea of potentially to keep the location factor in mind, to potentially redevelop the family home into side-by-side duplex dwellings. And Mm. that gives a solution of proximity to family being like right next door. And look, not for everyone, like there comes a point in time for some people, they just want space from mum and dad and want to, you know, fly the nest. But for some families, um, particularly with elderly parents, maybe, you know, you've moved out of home, you've done the rent vesting thing, you're coming back to buy your own place and you do a joint venture of building a duplex. So when I say duplex, I mean like a side-by-side townhouse setup. So you both actually have your own house, but you're neighboring because the hardest thing to buy is land in good locations. That's what the most expensive thing is in these premium suburbs is the land. The land value is crazy. So I wonder if we'll see more of that happen over time. Yeah, and I, there's no doubt that we will. No doubt at all that we will. And I think that good suburbs will become more dense as the years go on because, yeah, obviously more people want to live there and that there's no more land that's available there. So that will be natural, but also council will have different limitations and restrictions on what you can and can't do there. But I suppose... And, and Lindsay, obviously everyone's situation is different in terms of uh, how many kids you've got and, and uh, your financial situation and where you live and, and what it costs you to live in that particular suburb. But I, th- I think there's a, an amount of resilience needs to be shown by, well, by the adults, but also to teach the kids that, okay, the, let's get our financial principles underway at an early age, right? Spend an amount that you enjoy, save the rest and have a plan to get your first property, first lot of shares or whatever it may be to take action in respect to your financial wealth. Now, whether that means that you end up buying in the suburb that your parents are in right now, like 10 years, 20 years is a long time. They might not even want to be in that suburb in in 10 years' time because things have changed in life. So I think we've got to be reasonably flexible with it. But I wouldn't be thinking, like I don't wake up every morning thinking, oh, how are my kids ever going to afford to be in this suburb that we're living in right now? Because we don't even know if we're going to be in this suburb. And, And I think it's more a case of 
how are we taking action for our kids to be educated, to be able to then make their own decisions around their financial wealth? They might not even want to be around us in 10 years because they want that independence and, and live their own life. They might be overseas, they might go into a, a regional area, they might be uh, interstate. There's, there's all sorts of variations of this. So I think it's more of a a larger picture than just can they afford to live in the suburb that we're living in right now. I have to say there are some parents who are taking matters into their own hands. I've experienced this firsthand, but also um, seen some news articles come out about it. And that's mum and dad investors buying you know, an investment property per se, but actually it's buying a future property for their young son or daughter to be able to have the security of buying in at today's prices and allowing the option for the son or daughter to move into it or, you know, start paying for it at a certain point in time. There's part of me that agrees with that avenue because today's prices inevitably are going to be cheaper than 20, 30 years down the track. And we're going to get yes. into some data um, a bit later on about what that could look like. But I also, I'm probably like you, I mean, I don't have kids, I have a fur child. But if I did have a child, I would certainly be the mindset of educating them to be on their own two feet. And I probably wouldn't be inclined to buy a property um, myself to then make it, you know, for them, I think pros and cons. And I'm sure there's, you know, listeners who are in one camp and in the other, but yeah, it's an interesting concept that that really wasn't that prevalent even 10 years ago. And now it seems to be a bit more common. That's what they're doing. And they're buying apartments, by the way, like they're not buying houses as such, but they are buying apartments for their kids, which, you know, if in the position to do so, good on you, but not everybody has a mum and dad or mum or dad who could accommodate that for them. No, and and actually, Glenn and I were speaking about this yesterday. I I don't agree with it. I wouldn't do it personally. I wouldn't say, look, I've I've got three kids. I'm going to buy three homes, and they're all for the kids when they turn eighteen or thirty or whatever it might be. But the the power of educating them to say, well, you need to get yourself into some form of income producing assets that produce passive income for you at at some stage in your life. And I think that percentage of active versus passive income needs to be addressed every 12 months as an adult to see how much action we're taking in the passive space if we want real financial freedom or choice. But I think it's too rigid to be able to say, let's buy a home in this particular location for our kids. And is it actually feasible? Can we actually afford to do that? And if we want them to live in it, it becomes a bit murky. Like who's the owner? Who's paying rent? How much are they paying? Is it market rent? Like it's it's a, it's got a little bit of uh, a disaster waiting to happen for me um, personally. But yeah, sure, we can give them a, a, a hand up if we if we can, but not to the point where uh, they become I- entitled, I suppose. I'm being quite harsh today, but I'm pretty passionate about this. <laughs> no, I, I actually do agree with you. Um, I'm pretty much mostly in that camp myself. The other avenue that's popped up in more recent times has been early inheritance. So obviously inheritance is typically something that was paid out once the person has passed away. Um, however, uh, rather than it just being like a gifted of a deposit, it's actually parents actively choosing to give a portion of would-be inheritance earlier so they can actually yep. see 
their child, you know, spend that money um, and put it to good use. And there might be some parameters around how it's spent or what it's spent on, namely houses um, or, an, or an investment. But yeah, that to me, that's a more, if the money is going to be coming anyway, and the parent can have some sort of influence on how it's spent and actually see it unfold whilst they're still alive, then I'm actually personally okay with that. But a handout for the sake of a handout, I'm not sure I'm 100% on, on board with that. Yeah. And I'm totally fine with that as well. I think you're right. It's it's just forward gifting money that w- would be theirs down the track potentially, and it's being put to good use um, and having some mutual I suppose, standards around what they do buy and having the the child maybe take some ownership around that because you've been fortunate enough to be able to educate them. And the other one is a parental guarantor. I really like that. And I was speaking to someone in Melbourne about it yesterday and, and who is a real estate agent and they're saying like two-thirds of the properties that they're, they're selling at the moment, they're selling to parents basically giving them parental guarantors or uh, gifts like you've mentioned there to basically either they're on the title with them or they're putting them uh, they're they're buying it um, for them basically yeah so oh not for them but the the kids are housing the mortgage yeah yeah so we've probably explored a bit more of the I would call it the emotional side of of this or the more philosophical side of the the question we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to deep dive a bit more into the nuts and bolts of the numbers around this looking on some past performance of areas and then I dare say we're going to make some predictions of of the future no one can actually predict the future but we're going to have a stab and see what we think uh, might unfold in the next 20 to 30 years so keep posted and we'll be back after the break If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, John, before we dive into more of the numbers side of things, which I know you love numbers, I'm probably more on the emotional side of the fence. You like, like the numbers. Is there anything else you want to add 
before we go into numbers emotion for one day <laughs> I've, I've uh i've gone pretty hard okay. like uh, yeah I, I just yeah i'm ha- i'm happy with um all of that i just uh yeah i think i i meet so many different types of people and so many different opinions and and that's cool and we're all entitled to our own opinions and the way we manage our money is going to be different and that's completely up to the individual but I, I just see time and time again where it doesn't work out when they go the wrong way as in I, I'll, I'll give someone something and they become entitled and everything else. But um, in any case, that's enough of me ranting on that, Emily. So let, let's get into the numbers, shall let's we? Let's do it. So I've just handpicked some – like we, we research a lot of suburbs and towns around the country and – for for Lindsay's purpose and for everyone else listening, it's it's not as damning as you as you think it is. That the media and and uh, a lot of other podcasts like ourselves maybe <laughs> make it worse than it is. I I think uh, because what the numbers I'm about to relay to you may give you some comfort, but it it all comes back to what does it cost to live in the area that you want to live in right now. I'll give you one extreme example which won't excite too many people. And this is close to you, Emily. Oh. This is the suburb of Hawthorne. Oh, yeah. Now, mm-hmm. you would say undoubtedly that Hawthorne is one of the best suburbs in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. In 2004, which is 19 years ago, you could buy a house and median house, which is usually three bedroom, for 714000 So that was expensive enough back then, wasn't it? Yeah, it sounds like a decent figure for back then. Yeah. Now, fast forward to 2023, the median house price is two and a half million. Yeah. So it's had reasonable growth through that period, you would say, like nearly $2 million in up, upside. Now, there's only a certain amount of people that are, are going to be able to afford that ever. Now, do we see, do, do we predict that the Hawthorne median house price will go from two and a half mil uh, up to, well, it's, it's doubled and then close to, to tripled in that time, hasn't it? So do we see the, the house price going from two and a half to five, then to 10 mil in a 19-year period? No, I don't think that will happen. But it will almost become like this compound suburb like and and it's compound as in there's big uh, walls up that say well we'll never afford to be in there so we'll just keep driving past we won't even look it up it'll just be those suburbs that are never affordable for those that aren't already in them I think that's what the future holds for those type of suburbs right but they are a very or, or I wouldn't say very but there are a small percentage of Australia's towns and suburbs uh, and I'll give you examples of, of a few others in a moment to, to s- express my point. But a lot of the blue chip Sydney and Melbourne suburbs are absolutely like the Hawthorns. They're, is that they're going to be never going to be affordable for the average person that isn't already grounded in those suburbs with a, with with some sort of land. And you mentioned before, Emily, which is a good point to say, well, okay, someone that already lives in Hawthorne might be able to subdivide into four or three and, and the kids can live out the back and they can look after me when I get old. Sure, there'll be some of that happening. But if you're not in there, there already, you're going to need a, a massive chunk of money to, to enter in there for the first time. Whereas 19 years ago, 
700k, uh, I think, is is cheaper in respective to what two and a half mil is today. I'm not sure if there's specific data on it, but I would be very intrigued to run the correlation between the price growth and the median hold time, because I would suspect that a suburb like Hawthorne in houses, not apartments, but the houses, yep. the hold time mm-hmm. would be significantly greater than areas that are sort of in the middle to outer ring of Melbourne, I think they have higher turnover. Whereas I think the reason the prices become so big is because it's so sought after, there's so few listings and transactions that happen in any given year that, you know, anyone who's been sitting on the fence waiting to jump on these opportunities, everyone goes. And this is where in these areas and the the neighbouring suburbs to the likes of Hawthorne, you see the auctions go like wild because they're just like, they're so rare. And I think that contributes a lot because the whole time is so long and it's hard for the real estate agents working in those areas. There's only so many deals they can do a year because you know, no one wants to sell out. Like everyone knows they've got a good, so they just stay. But yeah, I think that also plays into the price. Yeah. Well, the real estate agent only needs to do a few deals a year, don't they, to, uh, to be comfortable, right? <laughs> <Not wrong. laughs> Property prices are, are at that height. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's a good point. And, and that's why they're they're so uh, so much sought after is that they're, they're so tight in re, in respect to, to selling. They just once they know a good thing, they they stick to it, don't they? Yeah. But interestingly enough, I think like over like there's like fifty one percent of of Hawthorne rent in the in the suburb. So we know that there are a lot of renters in that area, but you, you're never going to see oversupply, are you? No, and I would suspect, particularly with an area like that, I mean, Hawthorne's home to two unis, so a lot of them are probably um, apartments. But yeah, you're never gonna, you're never going to have enough properties in that area. Put it that way. Yeah, just for reference, twenty-seven percent of Hawthorne own the home outright, which would be a nice position to be in for those people. Indeed, that's a lot. That's a high amount. Yeah, so so let's move to uh, I suppose some other regions that. I see a, a, a more achievable for the next generation coming through in terms of deposits and, and holding uh, mortgages, et cetera. So take a, a suburb called Kippering, which is in, um, in Brisbane, right? Now, it's not obviously um, in a suburb of Brisbane. It's, it's out of ring a little bit, out sort of Redcliffe area. I'm Googling. Um, now... <laughs> You, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, it. two words. <laughs> yep, you got yep. it. So so there's a bit of water not too far away, et cetera. But when we look at the median house price there, and we're talking median, of course, because and the median is is just a real starting point. There's going to be $2 million properties. There's going to be 500K properties. But just taking the median for reference, um, 2004, 19 years ago, median house price there, 247000 Today, the median house price is six fifty. Mm. So you can get yourself a house for six fifty in Kippering in Brisbane, right? Not saying that's good, bad or otherwise to go and invest, but it's just simply that's affordable in my mind. You put down 10% or ideally 20%, but you can get away with 5% with the government incentives, et cetera. So that gives you like a 600-odd mortgage, which is uh, more than achievable for someone that's earning an, an okay income in Australia, would you say? Most definitely. I'm just searching the realestate.com listings that you've been speaking. There's a train station there. There's a shopping centre. There's beachfront. Like yep. that seems, yep. yeah, like 
Yeah. For a house on land, there's one I'm looking at that's 640,000 for a nearly 600 square meter block. I mean, and it's got a pool, John. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So it's not all doom and gloom for, for people in Brisbane. Yeah, they may not be in a Grange or an inner suburb like that where it might be one and a half, two million, but you can get yourself into a capital city, right? Uh, let's go over to WA. We often forget WA people. Um, so. I want to look at the prices there and you'd be quite surprised. Maybe the locals won't be, but let's take a suburb like Morley, M-O-R-L-E-Y, which again is a little bit out of town, but sort of not out in the out in the sticks by any means. Now, 19 years ago, house price 225000 today 565000 right? So again, extremely affordable to own a home in a place like Morley. So you're in Perth, you, 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 again, you're not in the, the inner city or in a suburb with a house, but you have got a house with a backyard for under 600K. That's pretty solid. So, and looking at the location on the map, not far from the airport either, and it's got, yeah, shopping centre, yep, all those yep. sorts of things. A Bunnings, we love a Bunnings. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the indication of people coming when Bunnings build. And now... Let's look at a at a regional centre. So if they're capital cities, if that's Perth and that's Brisbane, now Canberra a bit more expensive or a fair bit more expensive, but and and we agree that the Sydney and Melbourne prices are uh, a fair bit higher again. But we go to somewhere like Ballarat in Victoria. Uh, Nineteen years ago, median price in Alfredon, which is a better suburb in in Ballarat. 260,000 today 640,000 right so again similar price to a to a kipper ring in Brisbane so again we've got affordable prices in areas that we've got good industry we can get a job anywhere good economy um, and the population's growing and you're not in the remote parts of of the country right so we know we appreciate that majority of the population in Australia to the tune of like 12 or 13 million, isn't it, live in Melbourne and Sydney combined. So it's nearly half of Australia's population live in in those two cities. So we get that for a lot of those suburbs, we're we're talking a million dollars plus. But what I'm saying to the next generation is there are options out there that give you a chance to be able to own your own home to live in or at least invest in, right, which is still a feeling of taking action. It might not be, back to Lindsay's question, it might not be in a location that you're in right now as a parent, but again, I think we've got to be fair to say, give ourselves 10, 15, 20 years to swing back around to that suburb and and you're giving yourself a fighting chance. You can see why with this sort of data and what's possible that people do have a choice of what lifestyle they want. And if it is a Sydney or Melbourne, yep. you know, a major, then unfortunately for the same price point of what you can afford that, you know, three or four bedroom house house in Kippering versus a two bedroom apartment in, you know, in a Melbourne, it really comes down to what you value more and it's location versus accommodation. This is the common debate that we always bring up on the podcast. I think the biggest thing is I think Australia doesn't really have a sense of minimal living. Like we, we really value space. And so mm. when you look at other countries around the world that have like literally shoebox apartments, I've done some little TikTok reviews on these tiny little studio apartments and they're like 25 square metres internally. Like it's 
not even a hotel room size and people choose to live in them because it offers them a CBD location. You know, it's just so foreign to us as Aussie. We wouldn't live in that. We just wouldn't. Like it's, it's you know, basically student accommodation. So trying to find the happy medium for people of enough space at home and enough lifestyle around the area may see you in different pockets of Australia. And I think we can be guilty of only looking at our own state as well, particularly investors. I mean, you would see this all the time, John, with people that you work with through your buyer's agency. You know, people go to invest in their own backyard, but even just hearing the suburbs you've highlighted today, like there are options out there. You just need to do your research or engage someone who does the research for you so you know what's possible. If you were in Melbourne only looking at Melbourne, of course you would think nothing's going to be achievable for you because it Mm. probably isn't. So yeah, that's big right. picture stuff is what we need. Yeah, you quickly get deflated in your in your own backyard, don't you? Mm. Um, but yeah, look, and and uh, I was talking to uh, I was on um, radio yesterday talking about this. Um, like the Londons and the New Yorks of the world, they rent. They just will never own their own home because of the price in comparison to wages, and and that may happen in Melbourne and Sydney and it already is happening. So the other way you can you can take action as we've spoken about is we move out of there for a period of time and, and wheel back around with, with our multiple investments or we buy something inferior. When I say inferior, smaller in size, uh, that'll do the trick for the next 10 years until we maybe, if we want to start a family, that's when we need to think about uh, moving out to a bit more space. But yeah, you're right. Like Singapore, for example, like it's just uh, jam-packed living, like cities in Japan, jam-packed living, um, China the same, like they're just used to high-rise buildings and living in 25 to 50 square metre um, spaces, aren't they? Most definitely. And so I think when we see more and more apartments being built around these city centres and we factor in migration and what some people might be used to, they could walk into an apartment here and go, oh my gosh, this has so much space. Whereas someone who's come from a family home in the burbs looking to go to the city, they're like, I can't live in this. So, you know, there's there's something for everyone. And I I think (laughs) the bottom line is there's not enough housing. We know that it's a very well-known factor in a, a massive deficit of the houses that we need to house Australia more generally. So, you know, back to Lindsay's point, we may see kids staying at home a bit longer. Um, We have seen the first home buyer average age jump up to 36 where it was 27 back in the 1980s. You know, that's kind of, I do think first home buyer age will continue to go up. And I don't actually think there's anything necessarily wrong with that so long as people have lifestyle in the meantime. Yeah. And I think as a a savvy investor, I think if we've done nothing between 18 and 36 other than save money and, and just sitting in the bank, then we are going to fall behind if, if, if it means we want to have choices later on. Yeah, indeed. Before we close this out, John, do you have anything on um, Western Sydney at all? I don't even know what, what Western, I mean, you're closer, I assume, to Western Sydney than I am. But to Lindsay's point about Western Sydney saying maybe the medians would be like close to two mil for a three-bedroom property. Does that sound right? Mm. Well, yeah, it is a massive area, Western Sydney. So you could be Parramatta, Blacktown, Penrith, like it's a a massive area. So again, I think it depends on which suburbs you're referring to and and which areas you want to want to 
look at. But let's take Penrith, for example, in the housing market again. Like 19 years ago, Penrith, 302,000 median house price. Today, it's 850. So it's still under a million dollars. Do I think it's going to be worth 2 million in 20 years time? I think it will be. Like it's just uh, like we were out at Camden on the weekend for a, for a netball carnival and, and like the amount of of new houses and development and and like your 50k in, in a lot of areas from the CBD and this there's, there's um, just land getting soaked up left right and center so there's once that comes to a halt there's there's only one way for the property prices so yeah I suppose to the to the lenses of the world if you can get into markets uh, now on today's prices at 850 for example then I think there's going to be some good growth ahead for that um, for that area going forward if it's if it's definitely got some land value anyway. But yeah, interesting times, isn't it? Mm. And there's, I think, you know, today's conversations highlighted how much there is to know and how much research is typically involved in even trying to, you know, unpack areas that could be set for growth or have not yet reached their full potential where you could really maximise your returns as an investor. Um, I think long-time listeners would know that I'm certainly more on the home buying side of the fence and John is more on the investor side of the fence. John, we were speaking off air before and you mentioned that you're looking at or you're about to launch a property coaching tool, which sounds exciting. Yeah, well, it's, um, it is exciting, Emily. I'm quite excited about it, actually, because I am passionate about educating. And, and it's a, it's a, a teach-a-person-to-fish type mentality that our Solve Air coaching program does. Now, the, the one-on-one normally is a 12-month program that um, I take individual clients through over that journey. But we've, we've now developed something that's, that's much more affordable, that's basically your online property coach. So the uh, the new users will have their online um, login and password and, and have all of our tools and resources and, and videos and content basically there. Um, they just won't have the one-on-one component. So it's now an affordable option for people to be able to take education into one spot and um, and go through that at their own pace, which we're, we're pretty excited about. So that's uh, yeah coming out next month. So if you're interested in that, just um, send us a, a message and we'll add you to the database for launch. That's awesome. And I think, you know, for property like nerds, and I'm sure people aren't afraid to call themselves a property nerd who actually want to get no. into the nuts and bolts of doing it themselves anyway. There's plenty of people who actually do want to do it themselves, even if they could afford to outsource it, they still want to be part of the process. And so it sounds like a great solution for that sort of thing, because um, it seems like it's either you go it alone or you invest in one-on-one help. This is like a middle ground for those people that happy to, to spend the time learning and it's like adult school, isn't it? In some ways where you like learn a new yeah, school when you're as an adult. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we never stop learning, do we? No. So I think, yeah, like uh, our online stuff is, is, is going to be as cheap as like $12 a month. So oh, wow. yeah, it's um, pretty, pretty affordable. Yeah, so. indeed. Mm. Oh, awesome. Well, I would like to check it out when it's live. Yeah. I will send you the link. <laughs> So rounding out today's conversation and look, you know, shout out to Lindsay again for putting this across in the Q&A. We decided to make an episode of it. I think the fundamental takeaway is that property historically has had growth. Yes, we have wobbles. We've had a wobble already at the start of this year. We saw, you know, data show that potentially we hit a bottom in some markets and now we're coming up on the up in, in some areas as well. But 
there are so like Australia is so big geographically it is such a big location there are so many opportunities as to where you could put your money it's a balance of lifestyle a balance of your investment strategy and your ability to borrow money to buy into a certain location as well all those factors that are at play certainly come into effect when you're trying to navigate the best possible option for your property journey Totally. Yeah. No, it's exciting times. I think, yeah, there might be a lot of fear on the horizon. It's like, how can can the next generation ever afford a home or how can someone listening in ever afford one? But if you think outside the box, there's, there's, I think there's massive opportunity in this uh, growing country because we're a very lucky country to be in where everyone wants to come and, and live here because it is so nice and, and we're very privileged. So there's actually ways that we can create wealth through that population growth which is um, being strategic with your property investing. Indeed. Well, I think that's a wrap. What do you reckon? That's pretty good. Uh, It was a pleasure to chat. Um, Yeah, thanks for putting those questions through or or Lindsay's question today. But anyone who reaches out with any sort of thoughts and observations and questions, we try to get to as many as we can. But um, yeah, good, uh, good thought process today to understand what the future looks like. As you said, no one's got a crystal ball, but... We'll have a go at predicting it. Indeed. Well, in until next week, make sure you reach out with any questions uh, and we'll be sure to deliver some more topics that you'd like to hear about. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily, and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.